Hey, heroes. Welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers. Those folks are the ones that are harnessing the power of -of out-of-the-box thinking when it comes to the latest and greatest must-have technology tools, a people-first leadership approach, and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, I want to say a huge thank you to our premier sponsor, NGA, Next Generation Advanced. With reliable cloud-based end-to-end NG91 solutions, I am wicked confident that they can fulfill your needs when it comes to next-gen core services, call handling, data analytics, and much more. Oh, and did I mention it's affordable and customizable? Make sure you visit our friends at www.nga911.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. All right, Miss Cassie Sexton, I am wicked excited to have you here at On Scene First. Our good friend Ryan Dedman has put us together because he thought that our paths needed to crash into each other. And I <laughs> just even just a little bit that I've gotten to to know you through social media. He was 100 percent correct, but I'm not going to tell him that because, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't wanna, <laughs> I'm just going to keep that to myself. No, just kidding. Love you, brother. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm really excited. And I know things have been crazy in both our worlds, but I'm really glad that we were able to connect, especially before. Um, you know, us getting to see each other in person. By the time this particular episode comes out, we will have already been uh, to APCO and probably have been back the national conference and and we will have been able to spend some quality time together, which I'm really excited about. But welcome. I hope you're well. Are you well? Tell me you're well. I'm well. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be here and I'm so excited for APCO and that we'll get to spend time together and also with everyone else. It's going to be so great. It is. It is. I, I I remember going to Anaheim several years ago. I don't even remember what year it was, but it was a long time ago and I was in a very different place when I was there. I was in my 911 center. Um, I had met one of my my dear friends and mentor, Blake uh, Haskell, that that trip. Uh, he has since passed away. There's just been so many things that have have changed since that moment in time. So I'm like super excited to go back as as just a different person. So can't wait to catch up uh, while we're there. But for those of you that are listening, Cassie's doing some amazing things in the nine one space. Very similar story in a sense that you know worked in the nine one center, but had to transition out for various reasons, and we're going to get into those reasons. But let's start first by talking about who is Cassie Sexton. Who who were you as a baby telecommunicator? What sparked this? Hey, I think I'm going to go do this thing in you. Let's let's start there. Where where did it start for you? Yeah, so <laughs> I kind of fell into law enforcement and like I didn't start in dispatch. I started in like the jail and traffic divisions. Um, you know, I was going to school to be a teacher. I was a dance teacher. I was in show choir and dance and Broadway, all that stuff like growing up and thought I was going to do that for a living yeah. and uh, not so much. No, no, <laughs> um, those things are not dream. close. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had a couple of friends, one from high school and one um, that I grew up with in 
my church that were both already doing it at like 18, 19. And I found it very interesting. And I kept asking them every day and, you know, tell me about your day. So exciting. And I think after a while, especially, and now I understand right after doing it for 14 years that, you know, it gets kind of old, like to us, you've heard everything or you think you've heard everything. And every once in a while, it surprises you when you get that random call and you're like, oh, I thought I heard it all, but no, yeah, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you ask them and finally, you know, my buddy from high school was like, dude, just apply already because like I'm tired of telling you about my day. Um, and I was kind of like me, you know, this bubbly 18, 19 year old girl from the dance world. And like, I wouldn't even know what to do with myself in this world. And I sure mm-hmm. did it. Got in. I worked for a very small beach community here in Orange County. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I loved it. I couldn't once I got in. um, I lived, breathed, dreamed law enforcement. Yeah. Um, and I thought I was going to be a cop. I mean, I went down the road and went into the jail. I did take the dispatch academy course while I was in parking patrol. And I was thinking, this is going to make me a real well-rounded cop. <laughs> so um, little did I know, you know, fast forward 10, 12 years later that that mentor in dispatch academy that I would be connected with them later and up teaching with them, which was wow. is, is so amazing. Yeah, I ended up being a dispatcher. <laughs> That's and so crazy. I, uh, I ended up loving that just as much. And I'm very lucky that it didn't matter really what I did. I in law enforcement or really in anything, I've always really loved my jobs. Um, it wasn't even my first job working in the grocery store, you know, dance teaching. Like I worked at Bubba Gump Shrimp Company as Shrimp <laughs> Louie. Like a lot of people don't know that about me. I would say that's my most interesting job that I've ever done. But I really loved really everything I've done. And same thing. If anything about me, I have too many interests than not, you know, yeah. not interested in enough. So I find that it was the same in law enforcement. Pretty much everything I've done, I've enjoyed. So same thing with dispatch. I got in, I ran with it. I was very passionate. I wanted to be the deputy chief of (laughs) the civilian world. So I started at a JPA, Joint Powers Authority. Um, We worked for three cities. Uh, It was not super busy. Um, We kind of did a little bit of everything, records included, because we didn't have 24-hour records there. Um, I really loved it. Also worked in another smaller agency next door because they had the same CAD system as us. And when they needed help, they were a one-stop shop, one dispatcher on 24-7, did records, front desk, and dispatch. Like, that was a challenge for me. So I really loved it. That was actually the world that I came from. I started, when I was a baby dispatcher, started as the one-man show, like dealing with police, fire, EMS, animal control, highway department, walk-ins, like all the things. And I don't know if I could go to a big agency, like... I do contract work with big agencies and I just think to myself, I'm like, I don't know if I could pass that call off and then not know what happens to it. Like that would drive me cuckoo. I mean, it's so fun. It was like, and I don't get me wrong. Like sometimes the phone wouldn't ring for 12 hours, but then like there were the times when the phone would ring and it was a cluster. And then you had to do all the work for the radio, the phones and the, all the things that's when it got fun. And so it was a challenge for me and made things different. And so it mixed things up. And then, um, time came when I wanted a a different challenge. And I was like, time to go to a new agency. Um, I wanted city patches, uh, not a JPA patch. I wanted to promote to deputy chief. I I had the, I need something more. Yeah. Um, Later on, I would figure out that this was because I just would chase a dream because 
I wasn't happy with myself. So I felt I needed to keep chasing to try and get that one more admin project, one more promotion, one more whatever to try and find my happiness. I would get CTO training officer. I would kind of lateral back to my old agency, help them with a CAD build, do some training, promote to like a lower level supervisor, go back to my new agency. Like I, I jumped around a lot, okay. um, but I was passionate about it. I, I was really trying to work my way up. And you know what? I, I find that interesting. And we'll definitely talk about that because I do think it's really important. But for me, we, we have very similar paths. Um, I, I thought I wanted to be a police officer, realized real quick that dispatch was was truly where my heart was and where I needed to stay. I stayed in the same place for a really long time, for 20 years. But then I got to that place where, you know, I I feel like in my story, which many folks have heard, and if you hadn't, you know, go back and listen to previous episodes, you'll get it. But I felt like I was kind of forced out of the place that I loved, where yours was you were you were moving on by choice and you were trying to better yourself. Did you ever worry that folks would look at you as as it being a negative thing? Because I see what you did as a positive thing, but many folks might not be able to see that as a positive thing. Did you ever feel like, oh, I'm moving over here, I'm going back here, I'm doing this in your mind all the time were you did you feel like you were doing the right thing I lost friends for sure okay. um, because um and I got a lot of comments but so um a term that I heard recently like just in the last couple months from one of my so I went back to small agency to visit with my new position I go to a lot of police and fire agencies and we'll talk about that but I yes. gone by and to visit. And one of them had said that they heard a term called transient policing. And I loved that because they said it was the term that you're not loyal to your agency, you're loyal to the job and loyal to yourself in the sense of bettering yourself. And yeah. I said, I really love that because that's how I felt. I was going for, I'm loyal to the job and I was loyal to bettering myself and going for the position. I yeah. wanted to, I wanted to go where I could be better. You weren't settling. You weren't settling for for something that wasn't true to you. And I don't know how it is out of state. I imagine it's very similar. But here in California, the benefits are not what they used to be. And if you weren't hired before a specific date, the retirement's not good. So I'm going to go where the money is going to take me in the position. So if yeah. a city or an agency can offer me something better, I'm going to go there. And so my bigger agency can offer me something better than my old agency. And so while I love those people and what my mentors can offer me, I was being mentored to be something better. It's time to move on and grow. And I've watched other people do that too and grow to sergeants and lieutenants and captains and now chiefs. And I'm like, that's so inspiring. So why would I not also do that? Yeah. And so if you lose people along the way, those are not your true people. friends, I, I think is what it is because the people who are really rooting for you are in your corner. Yeah. Do you think that at times that folks are, I don't, I don't want to say content with, with you not being your best self. Does that make sense? I feel like sometimes those around us are content with us just being where we're at and, and not being our true self or our best self. And, and I think sometimes we worry about losing those people when in reality, it's, it's the folks that are going to give you, you know, the five fingers, or 10 finger up and, and celebrate when you get to those places. I applaud you for doing what you did. I really do, but I've never actually looked at it that way. So I'm super excited to have this conversation with you. 
Yeah, same. And I haven't had this conversation either, not on a podcast, but also it kind of goes to, so I've always struggled with like perfectionism, right? Like I go in and I work my ass off, but there's a certain line where that's too much. But also I've had struggles where coworkers sometimes have been like, can you just do your normal work and stop working so hard because you're making the rest of us look bad. And I've had, it's not all the people, just the select few. And I've also though, on the flip side of that coin, had a hard time sometimes I don't want to say judging, but like struggling with the people who do the bare minimum where that they don't, they don't, I don't want to say, um, they don't work at my level. So it's frustrating sometimes. Right. Having to learn how to work with those who just work the regular level. And I'm like, can you just get to my level? (laughs) So I listen, girl, I'm getting emotional. Like I don't normally (laughs) get emotional on my podcast, but you know, for those that truly know me, know that you're singing a story, you're singing a song that is, is very familiar to me. Um, and I do want to touch base on, you know, you saying that you haven't had this conversation before. I love that. Number one, I, I love having original content that others may not have heard of your story before. But what I also love is that you're recognizing in yourself that, you know, you, you do things at a certain level or a certain speed. And I am a, a behavior model specialist when it comes to the DISC human behavior model. And what I've learned over my 100 hours of training, I've had well over 100 hours of training, is that I first learned a lot of things about myself. And then I've learned more about others and how I know this is going to sound cliche. We're we're different. Pe- people are just different. But what I do know is that there's two speeds that folks operate at. And, and there's those of us, you and I, and I know that we're, I know we're on a very similar page is that you and I are outgoing people who work at a very fast pace. And there's a lot of balls in the air and there's a lot of things going on and and you want to be a part of everything and you are excited about being a part of everything. And then there's folks that work at a slower pace that are more reserved. And for those of us that are very fast paced, it's very hard for us to slow down for them. But I I spent a very large amount of my life with folks telling me that I'm too much and that I need to slow down and that I can't do everything. And and to to hear those things, it does play into trauma. It does play into uh, feeling bad about yourself for doing good. And and my goal when I teach folks about the DISC human behavior model is to teach them that we have to meet folks where they're at. And Mm -hmm. and if if I have to come down a little bit and you have to come up a little bit, we're going to meet in the middle and we can have a great experience together. But if one is expecting the other to just totally take it down and like not be so fast and not be so, you know, all over the place, it's just not possible. So I really give you a lot of credit for talking about the perception that folks had of you, but the perception that you also had of, of others. Have you ever done anything with DISC and the human behavior model? I'm just curious. No, I haven't. Yeah. So you're, I'm going to be getting you an assessment <laughs> because I do assessments on folks and I teach this throughout the country in public safety places because what we need to do is I've lived my entire life by the golden rule, which is, you know, I'll treat, other, treat, treat yeah. others as you want to be treated. But what I've learned through this new process and this new belief and mindset that I have is that I'm going to live my life by the platinum rule. And the platinum rule says treat others in the way they want to be treated. And it could be very different between how I want to be treated and how you want to be treated. But I want to talk about your shift. So you are chasing this dream in your 
dispatch career to get to be the deputy chief. I'm going to ask, why not chief? Why, why, why didn't you want that? Position? Uh, so chief, uh, so the difference was at the agency I was at, you could be a civilian deputy chief and you would be overall support services, records, IT, um, front desk, dispatch. It was all a civilian. All position. encompassing. Okay. Uh, to be chief, you had to be sworn, obviously. And at that point I wasn't chasing the police officer's room anymore. Okay. All right. So that I just, cause I wanted to know why you were not yeah, reaching, not reaching for the time. Yeah. Okay. That and makes sense. Not a lot of agencies that I knew of that had like a civilian commander, civilian deputy chief. Like there were, there weren't, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot out there, but here I hadn't heard of that. So right. when I found out that my agency had such a thing, I was like, I told, I was very candid. I told, you know, chief Johnson in my interview and my deputy, you know, my deputy chief, I'm like, um, by the way, I'm coming for your job. <laughs> and my chief was like, yeah, I've heard that about you. <laughs> like, well, and that's, that's confidence, right? That it's confidence. Some might look at it as, oh, well, she's a little full of herself. It's like, no, this is a career path. This is someday that deputy chief is going to be out of that position. So why can't it be you? Right. So now here we are, Cassie's chasing this dream to be deputy chief. Where does it change? So I lost people. People start passing away. Um, Captain friend of mine, very horrific murder, suicide. That was the tipping point for me. I had already lost people to suicide in my career. A mentor before that, early in my career when I was in the jail, um, officer that had mentored me very early uh, passed away from suicide. But this one was different was a very close friend of mine. And then not two months later, an officer that the murder suicide anniversary was just a couple weeks ago. And then the other ones coming up, which was an officer who died in a car crash very tragically. They were our part of our JPA agencies. And they were, I want to say celebrated very differently. And celebrated is a light term, obviously, the suicide right. murder was not. Right. And the accident was. And I remember thinking to myself, I need to go talk to someone. I, this is the tipping point. Like I can't do this anymore. Not this being work, but just like shit's getting real bad. Like with me, like at home, I was sleeping a lot. I started isolating. I mean, I was still doing stuff with my friends and like kind of normal, but I was starting to notice I was sleeping a lot and my, I was snapping at my parents a lot. And my parents even were like, uh, yeah, you should probably go talk to someone. So I'm like, okay, fine. So I find a therapist. I go to talk to them. And I don't know if you're a Brene Brown fan. Yes, part I, I share when I teach. Um, I go into my therapist's office, very Brene Brown-like. And I'm like, listen, I'm here for help. But this is how this is going to go. You're going to talk to me <laughs> about work. But you're not going to talk to me about anything else. And I'm going to get back to work. And this is how and my therapist is like, mm, okay. Yeah. And then be like it goes like starts pulling the threads on the rug and it unravels very very quickly and then I the one place that I felt safe put together and okay was work yeah I could go to work do my job hold my shit together but at home I was a disaster um I would come home and sleep and when I say sleep I was taking 10 Costco sleeping pills to go to sleep every day and I would be like dead to the world and later on well before that so I keep doing this for a while and then I start going to a psychiatrist to get medication because I'm like, okay, this is still not working. It's just getting worse. I get misdiagnosed, put on some more medication, and that really messes me up. Like, as I call it, switches all the switches in my brain a whole different direction that shouldn't have been. And then it sends me completely over the edge. And now I'm like not able to drive myself to work 
and my parents are driving me to work and that can only go on for so long. Now I'm pacing the also during this time I decided to sell my condo and buy a new condo and remodel that condo. <laughs> because <laughs> like, you don't because you don't have enough on your plate. I mean, come on. Yeah, like, let's throw some more. Yeah. So at this time now I'm like, oh, and you know what? Forget it. Let's just switch agencies. And now because I, I was working at both agencies at this point. I was working at the JPA and at my like original agent. So I'm like, you know what? Quit one. I'm gonna go full time here. And like, let's just change everything at once. Yeah, because that that works out well. Totally. Not- well. And so I had a complete like just mental break. And so I'm like, okay, now that I'm full time here, I'm going on leave because I just I couldn't I literally was passing out and like physically ill. I could not even get in the car now at this point to go to work. So I called and said, I'm not coming to work. I can't even get here. So I just- so might might I assume that what you were feeling in those moments was fear and panic and anxiety. And that was preventing you from going in. And this was right before my 30th birthday too. So now I'm like, and I had already sent out invitations to my 30th birthday. So I like had to call all my friends and cancel my 30th and be like, sorry, I just called out to work for the next, like, I don't know how many months. So by the way, no 30th party. And I'm like, super fun. Don't worry about me, but I'm canceling my party and I'm not coming back to work and I don't know when I'll return. <laughs> so like, I don't know what's happening, but don't worry. I'm going to be fine. Just having a 30th birthday meltdown, I guess. And so I went to um, the Amen Clinic, which is like a well-known clinic here in throughout the United States, but Dr. Amen. And I got brain scans, got diagnosed with PTS. And I was hysterically relieved, as I would call it. I cried because he's like, look at your brain. You have PTSD. Like you're not any of these things that your last doctor said you were. And I'm like, oh my God, I can be healed. Like this right. is an injury. And so we started a treatment plan. Treatment plan didn't move fast enough. And mm-hmm. I like totally, because you know, we need things to be like, let's yeah. go right now. I need yep. it healed today but I had lost my purpose because that was the same month I went on leave and like I then the holidays come and I'm starting to think like well what's work thinking about me I'm not here they're all covering my shifts and like you know also I felt abandoned and a slew of other things and just a lot there was a lot yeah and um staying at my parents house 30 years old because I can't take care of myself and so and I can't drive my two best friends knew what was going on and a very, very select few others. Other than that, no one else knew. And come January, February, things started getting very, very bad and dark. And I would have a suicide attempt. And during that point, I was like, I don't want to die. I'm just don't want to be a burden to anybody else anymore. I can't see any way else out. And I put myself in a treatment. I didn't know about any first responder treatment at that point. No one really knew around here, at least, or like that I asked. I did ask. No one knew. Um, I went down in San Diego, checked myself in. I was very candid with them. And I said, I'm here to work my ass off. I will do the work. But if this doesn't work, then I don't see another way out. And I put the work in. At the end of the 30 days, I said, I don't want to kill myself anymore. So that's good. Yeah. I don't want to leave. Also, can I stay here? Yeah. And they were like, no, you have to go with your parents. And I'm like, cause like, like, no, no, I feel safe here. Like I finally feel safe. safe. Yeah. And also I'm feeling emotions for the first time. Cause I had realized that all these years I have not been feeling anything 
all the things I had been doing were so much numbing that I like couldn't believe all this work and overtime that I've been doing 80 hours a week for so long, which was really great because I like did all this amazing things, but I was just numbing all the shit that I've been piling up. So then I came home, did 14 more weeks of treatment here, like intensive outpatient. And then I was like, holy shit, like I'm a whole different person. I did go back to work, but I was a totally different person. I, the way I even handled my calls was different. I had a totally different empathy for people. I also had different triggers because of the suicide and mental health stuff. I was realizing that, wow, um, am I taking every suicide call on the entire is are literally these just being routed to me? I don't understand. Like it just seemed like they were just drawn to me. I didn't get that. But I realized that I didn't really love the job like I used to. But I stayed for three years until I could find something else. But I also developed a huge passion for mental health and wellness in our world. Because there was, I felt not enough. And I still feel not enough in our culture. And so I came back, I joined the peer support team. And then I continued speaking up about wellness and mental health and that it's okay to not be okay. Because when I got back, it was real uncomfortable. I bet. And a few people talked to me about it. And then over the year or two, a few people would ask me like, what happened? Or are you open to talking about it? And a few people were like, please don't talk about it. And like, it was crazy though, how many times people would ask me about it or would talk to me about it, or I would share and they were like, yeah, me too. Right. And, or I know someone or it was not that I was not alone anymore. So I'm like, we should be talking about this. Yes. Like this is not a secret anymore. Yeah. And so I started doing working for my company or like kind of started dabbling in it, like experience, like I was hanging around for a while because there was support groups that were hosted at this facility. And I had been around for a couple of years watching what they were doing. And then I saw that it was real and that they yep. were working really hard. And then I decided that I wanted, I called them up one day and was like, Hey, what do I do? What do I got to do to work for you? Yeah. And then I started working for them. And then I really started working for them. And I was like, I'm ready to leave law enforcement. I could not be any more passionate about doing this stuff. And like, there are days where I miss certain aspects of the job. I miss being involved, but overall, I really don't miss it too much. Yeah. There's so many things as you're sitting here telling the story, I'm hanging on every word because I was in such a place that was just so similar. And, you know, to lose folks that don't understand, I will say this, um, is that, and I've heard it from folks, they've, they've said it to me. I had some good friends that I've lost along the way and I don't think I'll ever truly understand why they just left in the middle of this. But I know that I I was a lot, right? Like I'm crying a lot. I'm emotional a lot. I'm negative a lot. I don't like being around people that are like that. Like that affects me and I can truly understand and I can accept that. But what I wish folks would be able to get better at is saying, you know what? I'm having a hard time being around you right now instead of just disappearing or just not giving a crap or just, I I want folks to get to better understand. You said something that's really important. And I say this, and I'm going to add this onto what you said, is that we have the the phrase that folks are, are starting to, to say a lot is, it's okay to not be okay. I add a sentence to that. It's okay to not be okay. You just can't stay there. You cannot stay there. And I know, and you know, because you and I are so very similar in our stories, which is 
why Ryan was like, Ryan knows my story. Ryan knows your story. He's like, you guys need to get together and and do something with your stories. Um, So here we are. Here's the start of that, right? Sharing your story when it's on your terms is ultimately one of the most powerful things to do. I accidentally shared my story publicly at a conference. I was at a conference and somebody canceled. Uh, They were doing a stress uh, topic and they canceled. They couldn't get there. The organizers of the conference said, hey, I know you do an eight hour class on, on stress. Can you do a one hour? Can you fill in? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Grabbed a few slides stood up in the front of the room. I got pat, I got to the slide that introduced who I was and that was it. I went off script and I shared my PTSD story because I was just coming out on the other side of it, the positive side of it. The I am realizing now this isn't a death sentence part of it. And when I shared that story, I cried, the whole room cried. So many people came up to me after that, just as you experienced. And they said, you're telling my story. How many people are telling this story about themselves and it's resonating with others? And that's why I'm making it a mission to do what I do while you're making it a mission to do what you're doing. And speaking of what you're doing, why don't you tell me about this amazing company that you are now starting to work with full time and making a ginormous dispatch difference? Yeah, so I uh, I work for this company called First Responder Wellness, and it, it's really a family of companies now. Uh, when I came on initially, it was a treatment center, and that's what I signed on for. And now we're really three companies. We're a treatment center, First Responder Wellness. We're a training, education, and retreat center, Shift Wellness. And we're also the Counseling Team International, which does individual culturally competent therapy, critical incident debrief, and also works essentially as an EAP or ESS for different agencies. They come in and will do their ESS. So what I do is outreach, business development, that sort of thing. What I'm passionate about is talking to different agencies, whether it's police, fire, medical, dispatch centers specifically, like I'm very passionate about talking to different dispatchers and dispatch directors, that type of thing. I'll go out and talk to them, peer support teams, tell them about our resources. Because so many times I hear different first responders say, I didn't know about that program, or I didn't know about these resources. And so it's so important as I say, shout it from the rooftops that there's these resources available. Because Mm -hmm. when I share my story, I'm like, hey, you know, and this is no, I'm not bagging on my HR or EAP or anything or anyone's, but like a few years ago when this happened, when I called my HR, they didn't know about a responder only program. So they do now and the flyers are everywhere. But at that time, that wasn't available to us. In turn, I want to make sure that all of these agencies have that available to them so that when they need someone, God forbid, a first responder needs help, that they can call us and say, hey, I got someone for you that needs help today. And that I'll tell you, I can't three times, three times, three times over the last week, I've had folks reach out to me. And I feel like a lot of times my hands are tied because I can't, I can provide some, like I can have a conversation with somebody. I will talk to somebody in the middle of the night and, and assure them that they're going to be okay and that to get help. And, but I don't always have the resources to hand them and say, here, call these folks. 
I am hoping to have that with you and your yeah. agency and your company. I know Warriors Rest has been a huge fan of, of me and I of them. And one of the things that I do want to make clear is I've had and I will continue to have if you provide first responder mental health and wellness tools, treatment, support, whatever it is. Everyone will have a space on this podcast. There is no such thing to me as a competitor when it comes to providing these resources. I've had folks ask me, and I've said this before, hey, uh, you you had somebody on your podcast that has a podcast. Isn't that like... Isn't that like competition? No, because we're doing similar things. We're just doing them differently. We're just... There's something I may be able to provide that you can't and vice versa. And I think what you guys are doing is beyond amazing and more people need to hear about it. My audience reaches all disciplines of public safety, which is why the name of it is On Scene First. In our mind, the telecommunicator in the telecommunicator world, more, more often than not, that telecommunicator is on scene first. But the field responders, they're physically on scene first. And we just have to get better at one, supplying the resources and two, advocating for them so folks know that they exist. Can you tell me a little bit more about the program? Like I know, I know you just mentioned the three categories, you know, that folks can kind of reach into, but I just want to dive a little bit deeper into and then, you know, uh, we could talk about this all day. Maybe there's a part two in the making, um, but I want folks to to have a true understanding of what your program provides. So the treatment center basically is intensive inpatient and it's about 60 to 90 days. And I know that sounds like a lot and people usually are like, how the hell can you get first responders to commit to 60 to 90 days? And the reason why is you can come in two different doors, either substance use or mental health and a lot of the times when you're coming in for substance use, it takes about 30 days to even get past that barrier. Yeah. And we have um, residential care where they they come in two different phases, phase one or phase two. Phase one is the 24-hour nursing. It's not a hospital or anything or any kind of locked facility. They're staying in residential homes in Huntington Beach where they're and I always laugh when we have peer support teams or agencies come for tours and we're like, okay, we're going to a residential home. And they're like, they show up and they're like, oh, this is a residential. And I'm like, I know I told you this is a residential home. <laughs> and it's a really nice neighborhood. I always laugh. I'm like, we go in. I'm like, I would live here. Um, <laughs> so. I think that, I think what people are thinking is like a rundown mental health facility, facility yeah. with like, you know, water dripping from the ceiling and like. You know, it gets a bad. And I even thought this too, right? Because, you know, we take calls from the halfway houses or like the other treatment facilities. And you're kind of like, oh my gosh, there's going to be like, druggies or alcoholics like walking around and it's not like that at all and like you walk up you can't even tell that this is a treatment house or anything it's like a really nice home uh, we have multiple properties but this the ones that we show and stuff so you come in and for the stabilization homes they do their groups there the therapists come there when someone comes into treatment they get assigned a case manager and a therapist and they see them regularly and they start from start to finish the other great part is the family's included from day one so like for instance a spouse from week one they have a group for the spouse that they can join on zoom 
weekly. And then about week five or six, there's a family program that they come into for three days where they get to do some education, group therapy, and individual therapy with their spouse. And that's a really great program. Um, phase two is a little bit more relaxed. They still are coming in five to six days for treatment, but there is still a living component, especially for those who are out of state or out of the area. But it's more like college or dorm life. They are either driving themselves into treatment if they have their car here, or we drive them into treatment from the living component. But they are at our facility and they have like EMDR, CBT, DBT, equine therapy, um, neurofeedback. They do meditation, mindfulness, yoga. We throw a little bit of everything at everyone because, you know, one size doesn't fit all. So we're trying to really like see what works for everybody. But everything then happens at the facility, not at the home. So we're easing them back into regular life. And that's where the long-term outcome really starts to, you know, double or triple for like positive outcomes. Because if you just send them to a facility and they're locked in a bubble for the whole 60, 90 days or even 30 days, and then you send them back home, that bubble pops and then it's really jolting. And then they're just back to the same environment that I don't want to say made them sick, but made them hurting. Yeah. And so anyone can do well in a bubble, especially a first responder. You give us some training or tasks and you give them a checklist. They're going to do great. So having them ease back into regular life and start to experience Starbucks messing up their order, going to dinner or being able to go to the beach and like exercise and do normal things. And also in phase two, they're able to go home for the weekends. Like if they get a pass from their therapist, kind of experience some regular things. That is when we start to see success. I and love then that the program, they get to go home and be a normal person again. I love that. And so I have a friend who's going to be on in a couple of episodes. He's in a facility right now down in Florida, and he's been there for almost two months. Um, super proud of him. He, when he hears this, he'll know that I'm talking about him, but it's not my story to share. But he is willing to come on with me and talk about the importance of sometimes you just have to go inpatient. Um, I did a little it wasn't inpatient at a mental health facility. I put myself in a program uh, for five days in Sedona, Arizona. It helped with the surface stuff, but it didn't help with the, the the stuff that was like truly buried. And, you know, that I wasn't, you talked about pulling the the thread and the rug unraveling. Like that's, you're ta- ta- telling that. And I'm like, that's exactly what happened with me is I was dealing with the surface stuff and, and wow, okay, I feel okay. But then it was like, wait a minute, there's, there's stuff that's really, really deep and buried down there. And, and I think most people have have this type of, of stuff going on. And I think our end game, you know, I look at my story and your story. We may not be in the 911 center anymore. We might never be in the 911 center any again. I know I I won't. I joke that I'm going to be a part-time dispatcher. And my husband wants to kill me when I even think of it. But I think what we're doing, you and I, and, and so many others out there, I think the job that we're doing now is is so extremely important in this process. Um, and that that it's okay. A lot of folks will say, I like well, I what I can't give up. I can't give up 60 days. I can't give up 90 days. I want if if you're listening to me and you hear me say this, I want to ask you how long have you been fighting to stay here and how many days have you already given up? Right. That's the barrier. And that's a question that I usually pose to them is if that becomes a barrier for them, I ask, how long have you already been fighting this? And if you're going to walk away from this for now, call me back when you decide that you want to come in because you're going to keep on fighting it and you're going to stay sick and you're going to keep having issues. And so when it, it's going to just keep festering 
and keep causing issues. So you can stay sick and keep having issues, or you can come to treatment and get it over with and get healthy and then go back and live a healthy life. Absolutely. Now, I know that folks are probably wanting to know the financial aspect of it. Is this something that insurance covers? Is it something they have to foot the bill on their own? Is there sponsorships, scholarships? Tell us about that because I want folks to to know the full story and, and whether or not it's going to be possible for them to get help if needed. Yep. So uh, the great part about treatment for us is we're covered by 99.9% insurance. Great. And so that is a barrier that in most cases, I will say the one barrier is usually Kaiser. Um, Kaiser South for us in California, we're in network, but Kaiser otherwise is the one barrier that we have, but still call us because we have a way to advocate for that. But otherwise, most insurance is covered for us. Amazing. Um, however, also we have nonprofits that we can suggest to call or we can work with to get funds for that. We do that all the time. And then also other organizations like there's associations a lot of the times will help with the bill like there's some really amazing agencies here in california that their their associations if their person asks for help they cover it amazing that's so cool i i can't even tell you i'm beyond thrilled uh to have one have finally got to meet you even chatting on on social media uh but i'm so beyond I, it's a breath of fresh air for me because Sometimes, as I mentioned, my hands are tied and I, I want to have all the resources. You guys will have a spot on my on my website of of resources and things, you know, for folks to to go to um, to to help each other and and help us. Where would you say you are in your mental space today? I would. So I'm in in one month from today. I'm four years sober and wow. I'm. I'm about three and a half years mentally sober, as I would call it, because I did treatment three and a half years ago, emotionally sober. <laughs> um, I love that. I love that. That's how I always phrase it, because I feel like they're different, right? You can yeah. be you can be dry and like physically sober, but emotionally to me is such a different ball game. Yep. Uh, I am in a good space overall. I work my recovery every day, and I know it. So I don't participate in AA. Um, I definitely, I participate in a program called ACA, adult, um, adult children, uh, dysfunctional families, basically and alcoholics. It's like a whole different ballgame. And it's also a 12 step program. Um, that is something that I associate with. And I work that recovery program every day and I feel overall healthy, but I have to work that program every day to stay healthy. And I meditate every day. And in AA, they say it works if you work it. And I preach that yep. because if I don't do that, I fall off the wagon really fast. Yep. Both, both it, it, it could have the same effect. And I, I would agree 100%. I, for me, I would say that I got mentally and emotionally sober probably three years ago, maybe four. So I was, I left rapid at, uh, I would say it was probably 2018. So a few years ago. Um, I should probably get that date down because it's an important it's an important date and or, or time because I don't know exactly the day was where it was like, OK, I'm doing well. Um, but I struggle every day, every single day I fight to stay here. And I know that I have important work to do. I also know that like right now I'm in a season that is extremely challenging through through a lot of different things. But what I also know is that I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up for myself. I'm not giving up for my family. And I'm not giving up for the people who are cheering me on from the sidelines and supporting me. And and I see that in in you as well. And I just hope that folks are hearing what we're saying 
that it's okay to not be okay. It is just not okay to stay there. And we now have another resource. We have another tool in the toolbox that you guys are are willing and able to provide. So with that, I definitely, we have to wrap up. However, what I would love to do is work with you to maybe provide some more education on what it is that you guys provide for folks. I My wheels are already turning on what we can, can do in the near future. So we'll chat more about that next week. But Cassie, thank you so much for being here. You should be very proud of the work that you do. And I am, I am beyond blessed and honored to call you my friend now. Thank you so much for having me. And I am too. Welcome back, heroes. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please like and follow me on all On Scene First social media so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. And make sure you get to know our friends over at NGA, Next Generation Advance. You can start by heading over to their social media and thanking them for being our premier sponsor. Remember, stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you.